while you take a moment and pray with me. Father, as we open your written word, we ask that you'd apply it to our minds, that we not grow shallow, that you would apply it to our hearts, that we not grow cold, and that you would apply it to our feet, that we'd not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, the word made flesh. Amen. Well, it's very nice to be here tonight. As Nelson said earlier, my name's Alistair. I'm one of the pastors at St. Peter's Fireside. I see a lot of familiar faces. I also see a lot of faces I do not know. Uh, but either way, I just want to extend my welcome this, uh, this evening. It's really great to be here on Artisan's Turf. I will try to do Nelson justice. I wore the same sort of tie and shirt just to represent the artisan style. Um, it's Christmas, right? It's the time of traditions. You have your traditions. Uh, these really neat traditions we've been celebrating in the service, and I'm sure your own family has traditions. You know, Christmas is this time of traditions and families and tension. Uh, my, my family got together on one of the holidays a while ago, and we, we have an ancient tradition that's been passed down through the Stern clan, playing board games. But, but this, this year that that I, I was partaking in this family tradition, I wanted to introduce a new game into the mix, a game called Quelf. Are any of you familiar with the game called Quelf? It is essentially a game of progressive madness. Uh, for example, you might pick up a card that says, for the remainder of the game, after every sentence you say, you must end it with, hear me, for I have spoken. And if you don't abide, there's penalties for this. Uh, and, and as the game progresses, more and more rules start getting on the, on the table, and then dares start being put on the table, too. One of the dares is this. Uh, no one likes to do the ch chicken dance, but you do. So do the chicken dance until the timer runs out. And you have this little timer, and you do the chicken dance. It's just it's lunacy. You know? it's, a, it's a ridiculous game, but it's an awesome time. So here I am. I'm playing this game with my family because this is a part of our family traditions. We play board games. But the tradition would not be complete if someone from my family didn't start examining my spiritual beliefs. Uh, most of my family, they're not religious, uh, they're not spiritual, but they are people who are committed to the common good. Uh, and the fact that I've become a minister, you know, an Anglican priest of all things, just baffles some of my family. So we're playing Quelf, and my Aunt Lauren asks me, uh, why do we need God or religion? You know, why isn't it enough just to try to make the world a better place. And then she said, hear me, for I have spoken. <laughs> and while I was doing the chicken dance, I said, well, tell me, what would it take to make the world a better place? And she said, uh, everyone, not just some people, but everyone would have to agree to tolerate and love one another. And then she said, hear me, for I have spoken, yeah. So I said, okay, well, how would you bring that about? And she got pretty serious. She said, actually, I, I don't think it's possible. I don't think I could bring that about. I said, so what you're telling me, let me just make sure I'm understanding you, is if that we want to have a unified world, we would need someone who is capable of transforming the human heart across national boundaries who could unify us in the common pursuit of love. Is this what you're telling me? She said, yes. Like, so essentially you're saying, if that's going to come about, we need a God who is love, who is capable of changing human hearts. That's our only hope, is what you're telling me. 
She was quick to change the subject at that point. <laughs> but it wasn't over. My dad chimed up. And when my dad chimes in on these sort of conversations, I listen because my dad is a man of few words. And so he said, sure, God could do that. God could be love. But if there's a God, why doesn't he tear open the heavens, peek in, let us know he's there? And before I could answer, the conversation ended because someone was dared to run around the room with a toilet plunger on their head. And it's about priorities, people. But these sort of questions, these sort of longings, these sort of desires, they take us right into the heart of what the season of Advent is all about. Advent is the beginning of the Christian year. It's the time where we celebrate that Jesus came that God was born in a manger. But it's also a time where we anchor ourselves in the hope that one day he will return, and on that day, he will make all things new. No more suffering. No more tears. No more death. Just life and abundance and joy and celebration and, of course, the occasional game of quelf. All of us, we live between these two realities. Christ came and Christ will return. And we find ourselves in the middle space between those times asking questions very similar to the questions my family asked me. What does it take to make this world a better place? And where is God in it all? These are the questions I want to keep in mind as we turn to the words of a very ancient Jewish prophet. He's not as well known as some of the other prophets in the scriptures. His name is Zechariah. And the words we're about to read, he spoke about five, uh, around 500 B.C., so that's 2,500 years ago. But these ancient words, they wrestle with these same questions, questions we're still asking. So Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10, we read, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. I want to focus on two things tonight. Advent should cause us to sing and rejoice, but Christmas should cause us to be silent. So let's start with that first point. Advent should cause us to sing and rejoice. Zechariah, he issues a promise to God's people. He says, God is going to show up. God is going to come. God is going to dwell with us. He is going to set up shop in the neighborhood and turn this whole thing around. And when God does this, Zechariah says, many nations will join themselves to God as well. This isn't just about one group of people who hold God to themselves, but it's about the whole world being unified. The whole world becoming God's people. This desire we have to see the world united in peace, to see the world become a better place, it points us to the reality that we need someone capable of doing precisely that. But anyone who has spent a significant amount of time pursuing the common good, whether it's through social programs or seeking justice or just thinking we should do good things, which is exhausting in and of itself, but good on you, uh, you quickly come to realize that it doesn't take long to reach the end of your rope. 
Despite whatever advancements we can make, despite whatever good we can bring about, there is always more left to be done, and peace throughout the earth always seems to elude us. Like my aunt's honest confession, it's not possible. We can make a dent, but peace and love reigning, it's not possible. Because if we take an honest inventory of ourselves, the problems that we see out in the world are just a symptom of the problems that we see within our own souls. Ancient Israel, they knew this all too well. Anytime they sought to seek human flourishing on their own, anytime they tried to do this without God, they always fell flat on their faces. It always ended badly. It always ended in disappointment after disappointment. Their flourishing as a nation was always dependent upon their relationship with God as their king. But it wasn't just their own flourishing that depended on that. Peace throughout all the world, peace throughout all the nations depended on it as well. Because their relationship with Yahweh, their relationship with God as their king, was supposed to point the world to a true relationship with God as the king of all the earth. But over and over and over and over again, Israel and humanity continues to try to find peace and wholeness without God. And Zechariah, he tells them after yet another season of disappointment that God will show up. And when he finally appears, he's going to set everything back to rights. Because God isn't just concerned about life after death, but about the very good things he's made. Because everything matters to God. The earth and everything in it, especially the nations. God, who is love, he will dwell within his creation. And his presence and his love will grip and lead all of us to overcome social and economic and ethnic and national differences. Because God will remake and remold the entire earth. And so if this is what it means for God to show up, for God to make an appearance, then we should sing and we should rejoice. We should throw a party. That's what Zachariah is saying. Because what our hearts ultimately yearn for, peace and love throughout the earth, is being made possible. It is coming. It is appearing. Complete restoration of the world. Complete restoration of our souls. So for the four weeks of Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, this is why we sing and why we rejoice and why we prepare. Because we're celebrating that God is doing precisely that through Jesus Christ. We remember that Jesus appeared for this very reason, and when Jesus returns to make all things new, all that will be left is joy and singing and celebration. Advent should cause us to sing and rejoice. That's the first point. But our second point, Christmas should cause us to be silent. As Zechariah said, be silent all flesh. In other words, be silent everybody. Before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if if for some of you here, uh, celebration around the holiday season has the adverse effect on you. You know, you don't find yourself singing and rejoicing or in awe and silence. You actually find yourself becoming more cynical. Maybe you're thinking, it's nice that you think God will show up and save the world, but where is he? I appreciate that concern, and I actually really appreciate the complexity behind what drives each of us to ask that question at various points in our lives. It's actually a very biblical question. 
The Psalms in the Bible, they're just a record of ancient prayers that people prayed. Uh, Prayers that struggle with some of these questions. And one particular prayer, Psalm 44, says this. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? I don't think it matters if you're a person of faith or not. These words resonate, don't they? When Zechariah says, be silent before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. It echoes this prayer of Psalm 44. When God reveals himself to the world, we should at least for a moment be silent. Because holiness, God from his holy dwelling, Goodness beyond what we can fathom has entered into a broken place. But it's not just a command. You know, Zachariah is not just saying, be silent, you know. There's something else going on. Uh, My daughter, who's the one making all the racket, uh, she's a year and a half, and and it's a fun age. Nelson has a total baby crush on her. It's okay. Uh, And um, what's been particularly fun about a year and a half is that she's now learning to play pretend. And the other day, I was playing with her, and she took to her, her stuffed animal, this lamb, who we've creatively called Lammy. And she takes Lammy, and, and she lays Lammy down on the floor, and she looks at me, and she goes, shh, shh. I say, oh, is Lammy sleeping? And she goes, shh. And she looked at me with the most condescension I've ever seen in her face, and I just loved it. She looked at me, she's like, don't you know the proper response? When people are sleeping, you shh. She understood there's an appropriate response. Zechariah, he's actually employing uh, automatopoeia. The word for silence in the Hebrew is actually a sound. Shh. God has roused himself. Shh. Pay attention. God is answering our prayers. He's showing up. He's setting things back to rights. He's bringing about good by his very presence. So shh. It's interesting, isn't it? When it seems like God is absent, we're called to speak, we're we're called to challenge him, to, to tell him to rouse himself, but when God acts, we're called to silence. This whole passage from Zechariah, it's about God showing up, a holy God dwelling with us, a broken people in a broken place. And the big question, of course, is when and where did God show up in such a way that we should respond with silence? When my dad asked me, where is God? I wanted to just like put my finger against his lips and be like, shh, just like my dog, you know, shh, don't ask, just look. That would be creepy, so I didn't do that. But, (laughs) But there's truth to that. Don't ask, but look. Look in the most ordinary and yet extraordinary place. God did not tear open the sky and play a giant game of peekaboo with us. God is not interested in coercing people into believing in him. He will not force himself upon people. No, 500 years after Zechariah wrote these words, God tore creation open by entering into it, into a manger in the form of a baby. It's there in this mysterious manger that silence should fall over us. There in the helpless form of a baby lays God himself. 
There lays Jesus, who God will use to reconcile the entire world. All things, everything, every person willing to come. There lays Jesus, the one who will be able to make the world into what we are unable to make it into. There lays Jesus, the one who can actually unify the nations, the one who can knit us together in unity, in love. There lays Jesus, our Savior. If you want to see the world renewed with lasting peace, uh, abundant love, if you want God to show his face, then look no further than Christmas. Look to that manger, because the world can't save itself. Only God can save us. But shh, God has roused himself. God has taken action. He is for us and he is with us and he is restoring us. And when he will return, he will ultimately make everything new and right and beautiful. But for now, shh, see the hope of the world in that manger. Yes, Christmas is a time for silence. Let's pray. Amen.